The 13th Amendment to the United States Constitution abolished slavery and involuntary servitude, except as a punishment for a crime. Ever wondered how we ended up with the largest prison population of any country? Have you noticed that those whose jobs it is to protect and serve seem to be demanding more and more blind obedience? You didn't think it just happened by chance, did you? It's time to call attention to the fact our government is the most prolific slave owner on the planet. This is Surviving the System. Thank you for joining me today on Surviving the System. This is Dance and Dave. And if you are joining us on Fringe FM, thank you very much for listening. We're glad to have you. If you are listening to this on podcast, please don't forget to subscribe to the show. Leave me a comment. Leave me a rating. You know, I'm not going to get any help from the algorithms at all with the topics that we talk about here. So the only way really that we're going to be able to get the word out and that I can continue to get, get this show in front of other people is with your assistance. So please take that extra step to share this with your community tonight. I am going to be bringing on a guest. This is a friend of mine who we've just been waiting for the right time. Uh, She, we were introduced through a mutual organization she and her family went through a very similar situation to what I and my family did. So we instantly had that, that bit of a connection, that rapport and her story is again, similar to, to mine. It's taking something that could potentially be tragic and has ruined the lives of many other people and turning it into a triumph turning it into something productive and constructive. And that's, that's what I try to do here. So we will bring her on in just a moment before we do a couple of quick housekeeping items. Don't forget to check out the website, surviving the system.org. We've got an archive of all the shows on there. If you prefer to listen through your laptop or your PC computer, I've also got the uh, message me section down at the bottom. I'd love to hear from you. Shoot me a message. Let me know what you think, especially if you have a story to tell. I would love the opportunity to speak with you and see what we can do to help you to tell that story on Facebook.com slash surviving the system on Twitter at STS, the podcast. Same thing. I keep those open. I've got those instant messages. The DMS are open for you to reach out to me. I get back within 24 hours. I want to hear from you. I love the interaction and I'd love to be able to help you tell your story. You know, this, this is the, this is the platform to do it. Now, before we get going, I always want to start the show with a quick moment of gratitude as we can get into some topics that are sometimes a little bit deeper and darker. Uh, And if not handled with the proper care can really just leave you feeling frustrated and angry and just in a much lower vibrational state at the end of it. And so we're not going to have any of that here. We're going to start off with that moment of gratitude that helps us to keep the show, the vibration high, keep that energy level high. And it allows us to really tackle these topics without, without it dragging us down into the mud. So we can handle it in a productive and constructive manner. And hopefully at the end of it, we'll have a plan and something that we can do now that we know better. So with that said, I just want to take a quick moment to say that I am, I am, I'm so grateful to be here with you, allowing me to live out my purpose to help to remind you of who you really are and what you're truly capable of. Mm -hmm. 
Now, with that said, I am going to be bringing on my guest, Nancy Miller. So Nancy and I met through Nebraskans Unafraid years ago when uh, when I was still in the early stages of my reentry. Nancy was doing a project for school and was specifically looking to speak with people who were on the registry to talk about some of the challenges and the issues that they face. And man, I had I had plenty to talk about, plenty to talk about. So I had the honor of of helping her to complete her education by allowing her to tell my story. And today I want to return the favor. So we're going to turn this over to Nancy. And I really want to learn more about what happened with her and her husband, what she did to get through that, and then where she's at now, like what she's doing to to handle this in that constructive manner and really to help other people through this and we'll see what she has to say nancy thank you very much for joining me today on surviving the system hi dave it's great to be here thanks for having me on yeah absolutely i'm i'm glad we could finally make this happen yep it's been a long time coming (laughs) (laughs) but it's been a very long time coming but that's i'd rather wait for the right time than try to force it and have it just go badly and and not not leave that uh, that good taste in your mouth. So we will well let's just get right to it. I, I want to make sure because you've got a lot to talk about, but I want to make sure to give you as much time as I can. So the reason that you and I are speaking is because you and your husband wound up going through an encounter with the system and kind of led you down the path to where you're at right now. If you don't mind, and whatever you're comfortable sharing, tell us a little bit about what happened in those initial phases. Like what happened when that when the first came down? Um, our story started. Um, it's been eleven and a half years ago. With a quiet Tuesday morning, nothing really going on. Um, my husband and I work odd hours, so we were both home in the morning with our one-and-a-half-year-old daughter. And all of a sudden, there was pounding at the front door and the back door. And my husband went to the front door, and I went to the back door. And we opened the doors, and all of a sudden, a bunch of cops came streaming through into our home. Um, they were wearing... Um, bulletproof vests and their uniforms said ice on it. The tactical and SWAT gear. Yeah, they yeah exactly. They yeah. were all swatted out. They they had their hands on their guns. Nobody pulled one. But That's um, my dog was barking, so I was worried about my dog, and I was thinking this is probably a joke or something. Right. Do you have the wrong um, house? What's going wrong on? house. <clears throat> the only person I recognized was our city chief of police. I live in a small town in Iowa. Um, so I saw our chief of police, which I knew him. We'd known each other for probably 20 years. And I'm like, Jim, what's going on? What's happening here? And he, he said, I don't know. And I said, do you want me? I said, do you think I should call my lawyer? Which I don't have a criminal lawyer. <laughs> I have a business lawyer. Right. Um, he said, well, why don't you just wait? So I sat down 
I want to preface a little bit about our family. Um, At that time, my husband and I had been married for almost 20 years. And we had um, been through all kinds of ups and downs with family members having cancer, um, just falling out with family, just... Uh, we went through infertility together. We adopted three children together. So we had been through a home study process with social workers in our house and all up in our business. Um, we had just gone through all this stuff. Sure. Together. You'll go through a lot in 20 years. Yes. And um, so, yeah, I was like, what what's going on? Uh, terrified feeling, you know, that nobody showed me a warrant. Nobody told me what they were doing there until an hour and a half later. Yeah. Um, they had been interviewing my husband in our dining room while they kept me secluded in my daughter's bedroom. Um, and then they finally brought my husband into my daughter's bedroom and told me that they were there. Uh, looking for child pornography. And I was taken aback, surprised, shocked, um, disgusted, terrified. Everything all at once. Uh, yeah, yeah. I had no idea. I did not, I didn't even know really what that was or what that meant. I didn't know it existed. Um, I knew that my my husband would probably have been using pornography, but I had no idea what he was looking at. And sure. um, so me- meanwhile, our two older children were at school. And so the, it was Homeland security that actually raided our house and um, Homeland think- security. Exactly. Yes. Homeland Security. They had, um, I guess usually it's the marshals, U.S. marshals that do that, but, or something, but Homeland Security raided our house. They took our laptop, our desktop. Phones. They did not take phones. Um, they took a box of VHS porn that I wanted out of our house anyway, before our boys found it. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> so they did me a favor there. Um, <laughs> they, they took one memory card that my husband had used to, because he was selling things on eBay and that's where he kept his photos. So they took that. Gotcha. Um, they said, well, we'll, we'll be in touch. See you later. And, and out the door they went. Yeah. And I had all of my, we own a small business. We, I mean, we were very involved in our community at the time. My husband was on a committee for city council. Um, I had always been involved with our local government and stuff like that. But um, we, we were just shocked. They left us standing there in shock. And they said, I, I don't know, the chief detective said, D- 
do you think you're going to hurt each other? Because I'm going to let the local police know to, you know, keep an eye on you um, because, you know, we don't want you to hurt each other. Sure. And I just stood in my dining room and I took my husband's hand. I said, well, well, we're going to be okay because God is with us. We had a very strong faith at the time. We were very involved in our church at the time. And um, so they left and left us just shell-shocked. And I couldn't believe that the detective said that my husband could go to prison for four years. Yeah. And maybe longer. And I was like, that just blows your whole world apart in sure. one day. Um, but my husband said, I'm so glad that they came because I wanted to quit doing what I was doing. I wanted to quit looking at porn. He said every week he'd, he'd promised that he'd quit looking at porn. And then he'd, the very next night he'd be back on looking yeah. at more porn. Um, that that's, and that's funny. <laughs> Because I think I said I said something similar. I, I remember saying something similar to my attorney at the time, because I wound up through that process meeting a lot of a lot of other men who were in similar situations. But the result was much worse for them. Where it was, and you hear stories like this all the time, where it's it gets blown way out of proportion when it's put out into the media. When you actually dig down and find out what's going on, a lot of time it's federal because they they tag these images or these videos, and sometimes it can wind up on someone's computer inadvertently, and they don't care. They, no, if, you, if you've got it, well, too bad. It's it's on your computer. Prove you didn't want it. You know, that kind of a thing. And yeah. I, so many people were five, 10, 15, 20 years in federal prison, like their lives just completely ruined. And I, I had the same sentiment where I just said, man, I'm I, I'm glad this happened now to stop me before that ever happened. Right. And they told us how he got caught. Um, he he had visited a website that had been uh, commandeered by an Italian police force. And they, instead of shutting the website down immediately and keeping any more um, child sex abuse images from going out in there, uh, they, chose to run it for two weeks and tag everybody's IP addresses that visited that website. Yep. Well, evidently somehow my husband got on that website at some point in that two weeks and had looked at 12 pictures. Hmm. Um, and that's how they got a search warrant for our house. It just took 12 pictures. And you hear about stories of people collecting tons and tons of images and he wasn't saving any, he was deleting everything right away. Sure. Um, So just to know that 
somehow my life got wrapped up in something so far away. Yeah. Yet so close. I mean, I mean, the crime took place in my basement with the computer and, but yet somehow my life gets tagged into all that other stuff. But, um, so yeah, we, we, but we're left to process all this on our own. Um, I'm a person, I have to talk, I have to process things with other people. So I told, I immediately went and found somebody to talk to <laughs> a friend. And um, I told my husband he needed to find a therapist to go to right away Yep, and deal with what was going on. So, sure. You know, he went to a psychologist. I think it was a psychologist, and what, as far as I know, was pretty honest with that person. And that person said, "You know, this is the way pornography works: is you start out looking at people your own age, people, you know, what they would call normal porn, whatever that is anymore." Yep, and then eventually your your brain gets tired of that kind of image and needs a little bit more to get stimulated and to have that same release so your neurons and your pathways are being made and those grooves are being dug deep inside your brain yeah. you get bored with something so you move on with to something a little bit more novel so pretty soon my husband's out there looking at everything, all yeah. kinds of things. And he wasn't necessarily fixated on underage pornography or teen, um, child sex abuse images is what we call them now in the, in the professional world. Um, so that's kind of how the progress went. He, he started using pornography when he was a teenage, well, when he was a teenager using magazines and then as soon as we got the internet, he was hooked. Um, and I'd, I'd like to, I'd like to jump on that a little bit and expound because that was, I mean, that was, that was part of my story too. Um, it's, it's an addiction just like any other, but because it has that, that taboo attached to it, because for whatever reason in this country, we don't we love to talk about sex, but we don't like to talk about sex. It's like a forbidden topic that everybody knows we're all talking about anyway. But it's if you think about those people who if you've ever seen anyone, an alcoholic or someone that unfortunately got hung up in drug abuse, it, it always escalates because the body gets used to whatever that is and it needs more or it needs something different. You hear these stories of people when they're doing drugs where they're like, Oh, I started out with just this little amount, but I needed more and more and more. Uh, and it's, it's the same thing. And I think, uh, you, you touched on it and I don't want to go too far down the rabbit hole. Cause I really, wanna, I want to let you tell your story, but they, the system, and when I in this particular context, when I say the system, I'm talking about government authorities. They're they're pushing all of this stuff out on the internet so that they can win more cases and look like they're tough on crime. They're they're helping to perpetuate the cycle 
of addiction. Just if we, you know, if you, you listen to a lot of the documents and a lot of the, the theories and, um, stories from people who have exposed the CIA's, uh, involvement with, with cocaine trafficking in the United States, mm-hmm. like they're, they're allowing it to happen so they can try to catch more people. And I, I, I know for myself, I, it took that to realize that it was even a real thing. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's so it, common for, for law enforcement to take over a website and instead of shutting it down or, um, turning it into a, a helping thing where, you know, we know you came, they could change the format of the website to say, we know you came here looking for this, but let's offer some assistance with your addiction. Yeah. And, and, and they don't yeah. they just want to catch the low hanging fruit because the people that are visiting the websites are easy to find because they're, they have an IP address that will take you right to their home. Right. So it's yeah. easy to make a good bust. And it's, it's funny too, you know, not funny, haha, by any, by any stretch of the imagination. But, you know, if I was to do that, if I was to set up shop and open up a website like that, oh, they, they'd come beat my door down. And I could sit there and say, oh no, I was doing it because I was trying to catch people to come on now. We all know, we all know how that works, but all of a sudden when the, the quote unquote authorities do it, it, it's a mental shift that we've been programmed in this country to to just shut off logic and to miss that part that they're contributing they're contributing to that person's addiction. Yes. And, and they're also perpetuating the the uh images that they're allowing to be seen. Absolutely. The same ones that they can claim are so heinous. Exactly. Exactly. But we're going to we're going to push pause right there. We are going to take a break. We will be back in just a few minutes and we'll pick the story back up. All right. Thank you for coming back. We are live on Fringe FM. If you would like to join in, if you have a question for myself or for Nancy, don't forget you can call in at 1-800-588-0335. 800-588-0335. But I want to make sure that we get right back into it because we do have a lot more to talk about. So, Nancy, when we cut out, we had just left off with the the authorities leaving your home and you and your husband basically trying to figure out what to do with with life as you now know it completely being changed. So how did things progress from there? And just for the sake of time, we'll, we'll try to, I want to go into as much detail as we can, but I want to try to hit the high point. So what was the, like, what was the legal process like for you folks? And I'm, I'm curious for myself too, because mine was state, not at federal. I know it's, it's much different between the two. Yeah. Um, (laughs) They they raided our house at the beginning of April in 2011, um, and we didn't hear anything back from them. They had my computer that had all my business stuff on it. I couldn't. Fortunately, I had a backup, but uh, we didn't hear anything um, through this bizarre 
tale, um, I met a woman who had gone through something very similar and she was able to um, direct me to get a hold of the um, federal um, public defender's office. So we made contact with them and got set up to, you know, got approved to have a public defender for my husband should they come back and arrest him. Because at this time, he's not under arrest. He's not under supervision or anything. Uh, they finally came back at the end of October with an arrest warrant. They had found 13 images in the cache buried in the cache of our um, desktop computer. There was nothing on the laptop. There was nothing on the um, the drive the, that the they took. The memory card, yeah. Yeah, the memory card. Thank you. Yep. And uh, so it took 13 images. Some of them we found out later. Uh, some of them were duplicate images. Some that he hadn't looked at at all. Um. Hmm. So how'd they get there? How I don't I don't know. I don't understand all that stuff. Yeah. I mean, if you if you click on a web page, it comes up with a bunch of images. If you don't I don't know. I don't want to get into it. <laughs> no, you're fr- and I, I asked that a, almost rhetorically because that is yeah, I asked I that rhetorically because a lot of times, like I said, these get these these guys didn't that's not what they were looking for at, well, at all. I mean, in full disclosure and full honesty, my husband did. Yeah. He, he was down the rabbit hole looking at all kinds of things. So sure. um, he knew he was guilty and he confessed to it when they, when they were here investigating. Um, so they came back and arrested him. He had to go to the, they took him to the federal courthouse in Des Moines and he was um, had his first appearance in front of the judge that same day. I had to figure out how to get to the federal courthouse because I had no idea. <laughs> right. <laughs> what I didn't know where to go. This sure. is not my world. So fortunately, we have a, a good friend who's a bail bondsman, and he just dropped everything for me that day and took me down there. And he did, he had no idea what was going on we hadn't told very many people at all. And so he got to find out that day what we were facing. And then he went down there with me and that was comforting. Um, but yeah, he, he appeared before the judge. My husband appeared before the judge. The judge said, okay, I see you're, you're under arrest for possession of child pornography. Um, one count, uh, and he said, I'm going to let you go on your, on your own, but you'll, ha- you'll be under pre-sent- pre-trial um, supervision. Right. So he was given a probation officer that day. Um, he was fitted with an ankle monitor that day. He was given restrictions on where he could go and what he could do. Uh, he wasn't allowed to be around anybody's, anybody else's kids, but ours. And um, there was some other stuff like he couldn't take pictures of anybody else's kids. Sure. (laughs) Not that he ever did. Yeah. He wasn't interested in doing that. 
Um, yeah. So and how he long? Came home that day. Yeah, he just came home that day, and then we had to, you know, go through that process of, holy crap, now what? You know, right. So how long did that legal process take until? They finally, I mean, it sounds like, and yeah. I already, of course, spoiler alert, know the end, but if he confessed, it sounds like he is going to be sentenced at some point and wind yeah, up. Yeah, once, once the feds get a hold of your computer and you have any evidence at all, you're screwed. Oh, yeah. Um, there's, the no, state. <laughs> there's no fighting it. They've got the evidence right there. We, we kind of joke that the um, federal um prosecutor has the easiest job ever because he doesn't even have to do any of the hard work to try to prove somebody's guilty because it's right there on your computer right um the the reason ours went federal is because i don't know they said that because our computer was made in a different state <laughs> wow <laughs> that it's I'll interstate comp yeah and a lot of times it's if an i don't know a lot of times it's like if an image originates from over the state lines to that's interstate commerce as well like there's all kinds of it's a big they made up this whole big gray area out of it i think to to just take more jurisdiction but that's again besides the points i mean that even the charge of um possession of child pornography is not that old there's not there's not a huge history of that in the legal system. Yeah. Um, so anyway, um, we had some trial dates that or you know, like hearings that were set, but we just kept postponing until, um, the, they wanted us to get all of our ducks in a row for him to be, cause we knew that as soon as he took a guilty plea, um, they, they would incarcerate him right away. Right. So owning our own business, we needed to get, we needed to alert our customers that this was going to happen um, and give them the chance to, so they, you know, we didn't know if it was going to ever hit the news. It never did. Um, my husband's not a, a boy scout leader, which mm-hmm. I met. I met one of those sure. <laughs> along this same, that was also busted in this same, um, bust. He, yeah. he was arrested in the same kind of sting. It's almost a sting. Yeah. Practically a sting. Um, May as well but I, I ended up meeting him or his wife around the same time. So, um, it, we, we waited about six months or so before he took his plea so that he could turn himself in. And as soon as we had that, he became incarcerated as a federal inmate in the um, county jail. Okay. And he spent um, about seven more months there waiting for a sentencing hearing. Uh, we chose to go with. Um, he didn't take a plea. De- he took a plea deal. But he said he he wanted to let the judge come up with the sentence. Okay. Because he only had so few images and he didn't have, um, a receipt 
charge. Usually when, when the guys were getting busted back then, they were getting charged with possession and receipt. Got it. Possession has no mandatory minimum, but the receipt charge has a five-year mandatory minimum. Got it. Okay. Well, my husband only got the one charge because he had such few images. I I don't know why he didn't get the other one, but, uh, so most guys were taking a plea deal for 48 months at that time. Okay. And we wanted to see if the judge would give him less time because he had so few, he, he overwhelmingly took responsibility for his actions. Uh, I was advocating for our family and him, but mostly our family. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and so we shared our story a lot at that time while he was waiting to change his plea. And, um, you know, it's like coming out of the closet and saying, here's our, here's what our life has turned into. Um, would you please write a, a character letter for my husband? Because you know who he really is, who he is outside of, of this addiction. Sure. And so we had about 30 people write in to the judge and, and, um, when it came time for him to, well, the day of his sentencing, we had 30 people come to um, witness and show support for him and us at his sentencing hearing. And the judge gave him 30 months instead of the 48. Yeah. And uh, having gone through that myself, like 30 months if you've never been through it and you don't understand what could potentially happen, that's really not that bad. That's it's, it's pretty, it's pretty light overall. That's yeah, a, it, kind of a best was, case scenario. And yeah, looking back on it now, it's a, it was a good thing at yeah. that time. I was, I had high hopes thinking that we were going to get off easier, but sure. Um, you know, he'd already done about seven months at the county jail. So um, you take that time off um, with federal time. There's no um, good time. Right. Really. And they give you good time. It's like 15 percent off of your yeah. total sentence. And then if if you're um, not a good inmate, then they're going to add that time back on. But, uh, so he got, we asked that he would get placed close to our home. Well, the closest, um, place is Leavenworth, Kansas. Um, but my husband had no criminal record. He had very, very low points, which is what they use to determine where you're going to get sent. Yeah. How big of a, a risk you are. You know, and he had very low points. He could have, he qualified to go to a camp, but at that time, the feds weren't allowing anybody with a sex crime to go to a camp. Sure. So he ended up at Leavenworth um, USP, and it's a medium facility, um, and there were no 
guys there with a sex crime. Nobody. Oh, wow. That you knew of, you know, yeah. if you had a sex crime, you were hiding it really good from, um, the other inmates. Yep. And, and as if you could hide it from the staff, you were doing good. So he got sent there. <clears throat> um, he feared for his life every day. Sure. Um, he was supposed to, they wanted him to show his papers and what he was in there for, but he couldn't, uh, he just kept putting it off and kept his head down, kept to himself. Yeah. Eventually he got a job inside the prison and, um, he was able to survive and And make it until three days before he got out. And that's when he was confronted by a white supremacist from another area in the prison. Another inmate got into his pod and um, physically assaulted him. Mm. Um, Fortunately, it didn't turn into, it was no big deal, but they both got sent to um, protected custody and, there was an investigation he was worried that he would get disciplined for it yeah when he wasn't the one that started it but um he spent his last three days in the hole at leavenworth yeah and, and lost I, all of his property and everything and and i want to i really want to to ask you the question here we've got we've got about 10 minutes left so we've got enough time but i still want to make sure to to cover uh, at least this last part, you know, I, I, especially on my end, have talked a lot about what it's like inside, but part of why I do this show and why I bring guests on, especially like yourself is the families are never talked about after the mm-hmm. fact, unless you're with, unless you're in there. And when I say that, I mean like through the media, the politicians, they just like, Oh, look how tough we are on crime. And they have no consideration for the wake of destruction that they have just left in their path. So what, what was that like for you and how, how did you handle things running the business? What was your community like? Like what, what was that overall like for you and your family? Um, I am a person who struggles with depression and anxiety uh, among other mental health issues. So this just absolutely exacerbated my mental health issues. Um, I spent a lot of time sleeping and my three kids just kind of survived without me (laughs) somehow. Yeah. Yeah. I I checked out a lot, um, but I still managed to do the things that I had to do but I was really a hot mess. And even when, even after my husband got out and got home, I, the anxiety of him being on supervision and having to entertain, um, these federal probation officers that came into our house, um, that can be worse twice a month. I had PTSD from the raid. Sure. So bad that I had anxiety, you know, I would, just be on the ceiling anytime they stopped by and um i had i would rage at them i would swear at them sure (laughs) 
And then I'd call him the next day and say, I'm so sorry. That's not how I usually speak. I'm not usually like that. Yeah. I have P and I told him straight up before they, before my husband ever got to move home. I said, I've got PTSD and you guys being here is not good for me. Sure. Um, I still, if I get like, if somebody, if I'm driving down the road and like, I've got a broken taillight or something and those lights turn on behind me, that sets me off still to this day. Yeah. You're, guts just crawl oh, yeah. up into your chest. Oh, and- absolutely. So with just a few minutes left though, I want to, I always want to end on that, on that high note with those challenges and with everything that you and your family went through and with the depression, the anxiety, the PTSD, you were still able to take this and turn this into something, something productive. What are, what are you doing with your life now? Uh after I had a complete mental breakdown and went to the hospital for five days, when I got out over the next few months, I was able to recover. Um, and eventually my, there's so much more of the story. <laughs> Absolutely. But my husband, um, his, his mandatory um, therapist said to me after seeing me advocate so strongly for my family, she said, why don't you go to school and become a social worker so that you can do this and help other families? And I was like, I'm 45 years old at that time. I had no intention of going to school. I didn't know how to do it. She told me how Um, I started out at community college seven years ago. And I just finished my master's degree in may of this year and i am now working as a therapist and i my ideal client is somebody who has been through this system and i want to help people go through this and be there for somebody because i didn't feel like anybody knew what i was going through sure and i know this is happening to so many people all over the place so i've got a great boss um, that took me under his wing and is helping me get started. Um, I've been, I study all kinds of um, pornography related issues and sexual type of issues. Um, I've just spent my, the last seven years just really learning all those things and and learning about what the sex offender registry does to people. Yeah. Um, how it ostracizes people. I became ostracized in my community. Yep. But, and the families. Exactly. Yep. And uh, it could have been a lot worse, but it, boy, it sure would be a lot better if we didn't have to have our name plastered all over. Sure. Oh, trust um, me. I know. <laughs> in the meantime, you know, my husband did great on supervision. Yeah. He had five years of supervision. He was able to appeal to the judge and ask to get off that early. And he was granted that about eight months early. Nice. And then Iowa has a mechanism where you can apply for a modification for your um, your registry requirement. Yeah. And we went through that about a year ago we started that um and he was able to get a modification so um, my husband got off the registry in iowa two years early that's awesome 
Yes, it's wonderful. That's great. Um, and, you know, I think just one thing to kind of add on to, to what you were saying there, um, that you, you didn't feel like anyone knew what you were going through. If you, if you just look at statistics and I've talked about this on the show, depending, depending right now, it's a little bit up in the air, but somewhere between 25% to 33% of the population has something significant on their record, meaning they've, they've gone through something like this. That's a quarter to a third of the population. So if you're in a room with 10 people, odds are eh, two or three of them have probably also been through something similar to what you have. That's a pretty astounding number, but it's interesting that it carries such a stigma that no, we just, nobody talks about it. It still carries that, that scarlet letter. Oh my gosh, you've been through the system. Not even talking about being on the registry, just if you've, if you've been arrested for anything, it just, all of a sudden people tend to look at you with a different filter over their, over their eyes. And it takes people advocating like yourself to get them to realize, Oh, that's not what I thought it was. Yeah. And and I'm not afraid to talk about it. Um, I would rather own my story and my family's story. Yeah. And I want to present it in the way that I want it to be presented. I don't want people to make up their own reality about it. Oh, no. Um, So I've always taken control of that. So we've got just just a little over a minute left. And with that minute, what I want to do is I want to give people the opportunity if they want to reach out to you, if they've got a question or maybe if they're in the Iowa area and are looking for some help or some guidance, what's the best way for people to, to reach out and contact you? Um, right now, probably the best way is through my psychology today page. Um, If you go to the Psychology Today website and search Nancy Miller in Des Moines, you'll come up with my profile. And I I mentioned a little bit on there about um, being open to helping people who are on the registry, who are in reentry, helping them find resources, find a job, find a place to live be there for a support. That's where you can find me. Perfect. I will make sure to put that on the show notes. So if you are listening to this on podcast, make sure you check that description. I will have that information on there for you as well. And Nancy, we are, we are winding down. So I want to, I want to thank you very much for your time and we'll just, we'll have you back on for another time. I know there was a lot more to tell, but we'll get back into it. So thank you. Thank you again. Thank you all for for joining me today. No, no. Thank you. Thank you. And as always, remember, keep your head up. Don't let them get you. It may be easy to look at all the corruption and manipulation in the system and feel hopeless. Here at Surviving the System, we hold to the belief that greatness is born in the midst of extraordinary struggles. You were created with a purpose, with infinite potential, and many have lost sight of that fact. We're here to remind you of who you are. The best revenge is success.